All right, so you're listening. You're subscribed, I guess. You got this episode. Yeah, it's um, Cutting Blocks. What, what number are we on, sir? The next one. <laughs> I'm going to let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> He's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, prove me wrong. Episode 224, talking about Gartner Top Strategic Technology Trends in 2024. Look at you bringing us back around. Woo. And with that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. Man, we're not going to do the fun ones. Fine. I got I to gotta practice before I do that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm Michael Outlaw. There we go. You know, somebody's right. going to be wondering, like, what is he talking about? Yeah, they'll find out soon. <laughs> That's soon. what the back catalog One is day. for. That's right. Uh, all right, so we, it's time for a few reviews here in our news section, Outlaw. What you got for us? Yep, so uh, thank you to just some dude writing a review. Uh, really appreciate that. And also, uh, Stefan. Would you really? say it that way? No? No, Stephen. You would pronounce that one Stephen? It's either Stephen or Stefan, depending on where they're from. But yeah, usually that's just Stephen. Isn't that what I said, Stefan? And then you're like, no? You said Stefan. Oh, yeah, I guess I probably did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> oh, God, stupid names, man. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, at any rate, that one was an email from an email, and it was it was really nice because he took the time to try to like uh, you know set up an account and everything, and had troubles, and just like you know said, "All right, forget it. I'll just send an email." And then I okay. had to butcher his name still. So That's fine. I'm sorry. Just know we send him love your way. <laughs> so thank you. All right, nice. Uh, I wanted to mention, too, uh, Orlando Code Camp is coming up. Officially, we stop accepting new speaker submissions on December 15th, which will be uh, before this episode airs. But if you really are desperate to do a talk and you just barely missed the deadline, uh, just reach out to me somehow, and uh, we'll see what we can do. He'll make it happen. He knows people. He knows people. All right. All right. So this one. I'm bringing this up. I'm going to try and time box myself on this because I could rant on this forever, I think, but it's laptop buying time. Oh yeah. I got some opinions on this, man. Okay. So, so I'll hit, I'll hit a few high points and then we can go from there. So it's been five years since I bought my other one. Right. So which was a gigabyte. It's a gigabyte and it, it's, it was a monster, right? I did have some problems presenting with it because of the video card didn't do certain things that I was trying to get it to do. I, it, it really irritated me when I found that out live um, overseas. That said, so looking at laptops, I have a few criteria that I want to hit, right? I would really like 64 gigs of RAM because I'll be doing Kubernetes things and spinning up the whole world of infrastructures on my laptop, right? So more RAM equals better. So with that said, I was, we've, we've recommended these so many times on this show that it shouldn't be a surprise that I was looking at MacBook the Pros. Answers. Oh, <laughs> right, there you go. Yeah. So the MacBook Pros. All right. So man, if you've been looking at the M3s, oh, it's so frustrating, man. I, I think Jay-Z and I were chatting about this a little bit. So it, I'll, I'll try and keep it fairly short. The M3s, if you go with the baseline, you're capped at the amount of RAM you can get, which already puts it out of where I want to be. If you go to the M3 Pro, you can get 
I think it was up to 48 gigs of RAM. I can't remember. I'd have to go look at it. But the thing about the M3 Pro that really irritates me is they've cut their memory bandwidth in half from the previous generation. So things that ran faster in the M2s run slower now in the M3 Pros, which is kind of hot garbage due to the memory bandwidth as well as to the fact that they reduce the number of performance cores and increase the number of eco cores or whatever they call them, right? M3 so it's Pro, a, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. Max is out at 36 gig. Okay, so that one that one doesn't necessarily hit what I want. Now, I could live with 32 gigs. I could live with 32 gigs of RAM, but I would like a little bit more buffer. Um, so then I start looking at the M3 Maxes. And again, this is where, I don't know, man, <laughs> Apple has a tendency to drive me crazy with how they do some of this stuff. So if you get the the entry level max, you're at like $3,500, right? And that one, I want to say comes with 36 gigs of RAM. Which, uh, yes, 36. Which, I mean, for probably do it. That one's 3,200? Yes. Okay. But that's with a 512 gig drive. Uh, terabyte. That's a terabyte? A terabyte. I'd have to go look at it again. I don't know why these numbers are lower. All right. With oh, that you know said, what? But I'm looking at like a 14. That's what, probably why. You, oh, you yeah, might have no, been looking at, the 14. A, at a 16. Look, that's, that's another thing. If you're getting the max, don't even look at the 14s. They get thermal throttled so fast that you completely waste that chip. Don't get them. Okay. So if you're talking about the 16, then you're talking about starting with 48 gigs of RAM, but still the terabyte, and that's four grand. Four grand. Okay. So that's not the entry level. There is one below it that you can get, but the four grand is the first one that gives you the full memory bandwidth, which is like, oh, I see. man, 35. Yeah. Really? So yeah, 3,500 bucks for that one. And, and it's like, okay, so it's still a terabyte drive, but 36 gigs of RAM on that one. 36 okay. gigs of RAM, right. For the, for the entry level max. Now that gives you a bump up. That's two gigs of memory bandwidth. If you go up the next step, which is the next rung up, which is $4,000, now you get the full three gig memory bandwidth on it. I think that takes you to 48 gigs of RAM. Starting. Starting. So if you want the 60, 62 gigs of RAM, you're in it for like $4,500, right? Somewhere in that That is a lot of RAM. 64 gigs of RAM, it's $4,200 for the the 16-inch with the... One terabyte SSD. All right. So none of that would really bother me so much if it weren't for the fact that they handicapped the memory bandwidth and the performance things. Basically, I've done too much research at this point. It actually kind of drives me crazy. The previous M2s are better in most ways, unless you're getting into like blender type, you know, 3D graphical design. And then the M3... Max might be better, right? Unless you go all the way up to that second tier max. The second tier max does destroy everything else out there, right? Like it's faster, but you're in it for four grand bare minimum to hit that. It's like, really, Apple? Like, why did we go backwards on the memory bandwidth to handicap everything up to the most powerful chip that you have? Like, that just, it doesn't, it drives me absolutely insane. So, so then I started looking at windows laptops cause I was annoyed with those and you can, you can get them. Like there are some, there's some nice ones out there, but they're not going to be as felt and sexy and, and as 
ready to do the Kubernetes things that I want to do that that Mac will. So I, I, I'm even thinking about making a video on this, just the ones that I'm looking at and, and, and just curious what anybody else thinks about this stuff. Like it, it does drive me insane. Well, I'm still on a Intel Mac, but Joe, I know you have one of the Apple Silicon no Macs. Are you like, what's your bit? What's been your Docker experience? Because I know there was a period of time where Docker wasn't supporting the Apple Silicon yet. Yeah, I'm was sure really we're early past on. that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where they're at now, actually. Um, but I, everything I've ever done is we just worked. I haven't had any problems with Silicon otherwise. And I got it like early days of the M1. So, yeah. And you've got the M1 Max, right? If I remember right. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of a cheapskate. No, nah, I'm pretty sure that you maxed it out. No, if I remember right, I think he got one of the big daddies. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain you got the M1 Max. So right. we Phew. we know what Joe bought. He doesn't. Oh. Don't listen <laughs> to Joe when it comes to hardware. Shouldn't surprise yeah, you. Joe, Joe basically asked us. <laughs> we said, yeah, get that one. Um, so at any rate, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of stuff just super duper frustrates me when it's like, I just, I, I don't understand that. Like when your M ones were so good and your M twos were so good, you didn't have these bottlenecks. Did you change the infrastructure some somewhere internally that, that made these bottlenecks necessary or was it just a way to force people to, to upgrade? Like, I just, I don't get it. Yeah. That's the thing is that like, you, you want to hope that that like the memory bandwidth thing specifically, like that, that, that there was a technical reason for that, that maybe like, some designer was like, well, if we limit this, then we can increase the battery performance and, you know, the runtime, blah, 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 blah. Because what you really don't want to be is some decision from high up being like, yeah, no, kneecap it so that, right. <laughs> so that we can like sell the higher end one. Yeah. You know? And it, and here's another thing that I think is worth talking about because when I had, we were chatting, I was like, yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm considering it. And I was like, oh, my iPad does everything I want it to do. And I actually 85% agree with that. Like I even the mentioned Docker run except for Docker run, right? Like that's, that's kind of what it boils down to. If I'm, if I'm consuming things, especially reading, right? So I did go get the ACM thing that I mentioned on our Black Friday episode, right? To where I got the ACM oh, yeah. subscription plus the, the bonus thing. So I can do the O'Reilly books. Reading on that thing is awesome. Watching YouTube videos is awesome. Researching, watching LinkedIn, learning stuff. All of it is awesome until you want to program something. And then it's not awesome. Even, even to a certain degree, typing, like I was doing show notes on my iPad last night and dealing with Google drive, the sheets in that drives me absolutely batty. Something as stupid as uh, here's an example. You enter a cell, you start typing something and you forgot exactly what the sentence was. You were going to type. So you tabbed over to look at the, t- the text. You come back it exits you out of that cell. So now you got to like quadruple quintuple click into the thing to get the cursor back where you want it. Otherwise it's going to overwrite the whole cell. It's just, it's things like that are what make the iPad not quite prime time ready for being like a laptop replacement, right? Even, even if you take programming out of the mix, but then once you throw programming into the mix, it's a totally different thing. Um, so, so yeah, that's why I'm looking at a laptop. Yes, I agree that, 
that, you know, 64 gigs of Ram is, it's not a little bit, right? Like I'm asking for a lot. However, with the Mac unified memory, it takes like six gigs of Ram and uses it for the OS, the graphics, all that kind of stuff. So you can already chop six gigs off the top and whatever you've got left is what you're working with. So in fairness though, the, the way I think I worded that was that uh, I get more value out of my iPad pro than I do uh, my, my laptop at the moment. Cause like, you know, you don't I don't use it much, right? I, I'm because, because we are fortunate in our, you know, working remote kind of situation or anything like I don't have a need for the laptop as much. And, you know, my, my desktop is like almost entirely the only, you know, personal machine that I use. So like the iPad pro is the closest thing that I would have to like a laptop kind of thing. You know, right. it's not really a laptop, yeah, but totally. you know, I've considered, I considered that like maybe instead of getting a new laptop, I would just get whatever the next iPad pro is with a, a keyboard for it and be done with it. But then I had this thought um, like last night that, Oh, you know what would probably be, they would probably work just as well for me. Uh, that is a true laptop. Just get the Mac, the, the uh, air, the MacBook air the Air for sure. I, you know? I'll tell you, and you, you can max out, you, you won't max. I don't want to confuse it with the processor name, but right. like you, you could upgrade a, uh, an air pretty good, you know, like I, I it's not going to be as great as the other one. Granted as a pro. Right? Yeah, it won't be, but that's fine. But you know, for the kind of things that I'm doing with it, because I'm going to use the desktop for all the heavy hitting and even for pre, pre, uh, presentation kind of thing, like presenting things. I'm like, I don't know. You could probably still use the air to do just fine for the, the for the presentations because you know, it, it depends on like, well, you, you mentioned Kubernetes uh, as right. the start, right? Right. So do I want to trust <laughs> the network that's going to be available where I'm presenting, no, which is generally never. like you never do, right? Never. Because then if you do, then you're like, okay, well, I could just scaffold up and run in GKE and be good, right? right? Like right. I don't I don't need a lot of processing speed on my machine for that. So that's, that's actually the problem because I'd even thought about air. So like, let's, I mean, I will tell you if there were, if I was just doing basic stuff, like doing show notes, you know, browsing the web, that kind of stuff, a MacBook air would be high on my list. Um, another, another laptop that I really like a lot is the Asus ROG flow X 13. It's their 13.3 inch laptop. It's absolutely fantastic. So and if you can get one that's not the absolutely most current model, those things go for like sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars because they're kind of their gaming portable laptops. You can get those things on sale usually for like eight hundred bucks, maybe a little bit less. And they are absolutely phenomenal machines. That said, it's exactly what you just said a second ago. If I could rely on a network, I just do everything up in the cloud, right? Whether it was Azure uh, AK. Oh man, what is it? Azure Kubernetes AKS or or AWS's EKS or or GCP's, you know, whatever. GKE, yeah. GKE, like, yeah, totally. Letters, I would do letters, that. Letters. Yeah, lots of letters. But but that's the reality is you're going to need to run that stuff locally. And if you're spinning up things like Pinot, Flink, Kafka, blah 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 blah, 
like that starts eating into some some RAM pretty quick, and you need that thing to run. So, so at any rate, that was a long winded. I guess way it would just that. depend on like how many how many presentations do you plan to do? You just know? one. It doesn't matter. Just one. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, seriously though, like like if you're looking at that four grand one, right? For I'd still use a it. presentation. Well, no, I mean, let's be real. Like if I use that, so I'm kind of the opposite of, of outlaw outlaw does everything on his desktop. I almost never come down here to my desktop. I always have something in my lap, whether it's a laptop or my iPad or whatever. I prefer to work on that. If I'm editing a video, I prefer to work on it remotely, like just moving around. Right. I don't want to be sitting at a desk because I do that enough during the day. So that's, and I think Jay Z, you're kind of the same way, right? Like I know that you'll go, you'll go sit down in the living room, play yep. games, or work on programming or whatever. Um, I just, I, I don't want to be tied to my desk any more than I already am. So, yeah, so, I have a, I have a secret to reveal. Oh yeah, yeah. I did something no one thought could be done. What's that? I switched my life from Mac from Windows to Apple. She got she I got an Air. Still? No, she's down with it. She oh, likes cool. it. Yeah, she doesn't like everything, but she likes enough about it that she's good with it. Well, it's super light, right? Yes, she loves that. The form factor, like, absolutely, it's great. There's a couple of things got her the air. Um, it's just like dumb stuff. Like, um, I told her my MacBook Pro has uh, USB ports on both sides, and I just kind of assumed it would be the same. So I kind of told her, like, hey, dude, like if you're sitting over here, sitting over there, you could charge it, you know, on either side. If like you come sit on my seat by the couch, like you can charge it with my port. It'd be great. No, it's only got ports on one side. And yeah, there's just lied. been a couple of little dumb things like that. I was like, oops, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, like she still has the old like maglev charger and stuff, like the MagSafe charger. Is she uh, on just, an iPhone too? She is, right? No. I'm oh. working on that next. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, the My wife is still mad at me that I got her to switch to an <laughs> iPhone, just so you know. The MagSafe yeah. charger is new on that air. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can use the USB if I'm not mistaken. I haven't tried it. I'm kind of scared to plug it in. You should be able to. Because yeah. yeah. the previous model was only the USB, uh, USB C, and then they brought back the MagSafe. Yeah. I think you can do both. It's but just yeah, the wrong I'm, side for my seat. So you got to cross. I'm telling you, though, be careful, man. My wife, she is still mad at me about taking her off the Samsungs and putting her onto the Apple. Like, I, yeah. I still hear about it probably once a week. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I read I an article to, uh, about you being the worst husband ever because of that. So, it's that, pretty that, close. That checks yeah. Out. I, I don't doubt it, man. It's probably all over the web now. Yeah, I oh. tried to get her. I, like, I, I switched to iPhone recently after many years uh, on Android, and like, I'm not very phone savvy. So, she asked me how to do stuff on my phone. I'm like, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> The uh, the thing she hates the most is not having to close all, which I know and she knows, everyone knows. You don't really need to be closing your apps all the time, but she just wants everything closed all the time. She, like, deletes your that's text my wife. as soon as she sends it. I'm like, yeah. that's the thing you can't get over? <laughs> no, my wife hates the fact that you can't customize the screens, right? You just have these square icons that everywhere, too. which I hate that, too. Like, I still hate that, but I'll take I'll take Apple's privacy over, um, you know, yeah. Android's prettiness just about every day. So, all right. So the next thing that I wanted to bring up was something that we were kind of chatting about before this. And we actually talked about this on one of our episodes in the DevOps, in one of our DevOps episodes. And we mentioned that you should be storing the binaries for everything you deploy internally, right? 
whether it be in an artifactory or wherever, it, on disk somewhere to where those binaries can be pulled. And I thought it'd be worth bringing up just to talk about like some of the things we've had happen and and reiterate some of the good practices. So like the one that we just had happen recently that was really annoying is we had a deploy just all of a sudden start failing, right? And look at it, it's like, what in the world? Nobody's nobody's touched this file, right? Like this Docker file hasn't been touched in six months. Like what, what's going on? And it just so happened that one of the packages, the public repo decided that it was no longer going to have that version in there. And so when you went to um, apt install or whatever, it's like, hey, this doesn't exist. And so something that had been perfectly fine before, now reaching out there on the interwebs is like, oh no, this this is this is no good. So in and fairness, so, it was it was a, a build that was failing, not a deploy. Because I know oh, somebody's okay. going to question that. Okay, yeah, it was it was a build that was actually building the images that were that were doing these things. So, so yeah, I mean that's one reason. Another reason is you don't know what you're getting, right? Like if you're, if you're doing an install from the web, you're just assuming that's a safe package, right? You're assuming that it doesn't have any, any viruses or anything like that, right? You've not checked it. It's just going out there. That's another thing that if you have done in house, you can scan those things and make sure that they're good before you put them out in something that you're running in the world. And I'm sure outlaw, you've got, you've got many other ideas and thoughts on this as well. Well, I mean, you definitely hit on the two big ones that were on my mind, the the ability to scan that image and, and to know like, <clears throat> like a, a particular version of some uh, utility that, you know, like is vulnerable to certain uh, exploits, you know, at least you, if it's internal, you can track and see like, okay, where and how is this being used? And you can prioritize you know, okay, you guys definitely need to go in and address this and, and upgrade it or move to a different utility or whatever, you know, depending on, on your use case. Um, but if, if everyone in your organization is just pulling from the open internet, then like you, you can't inventory what your third party dependencies are as easily. And you have your, you have no ability to, you know, to track that when, when big issues get exposed, when, you know, when the next heart bleed comes around or whatever, you know? Right. And, and then there's also the, not only do you not know what you're getting and if somebody pulls something out of a package, what if that site's down where that things get pulled from? I mean, that happens frequently, oh, right? Like, yeah, like the mirrors down and it's like, Oh, well, okay. So we can't deploy, we can't, build, we can't do whatever. Oh wait, I can't. Why? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are so many reasons. Now, that doesn't mean that if you bring it internal, right? Like if you have your own artifactory host or something, that those problems just go away. You're still going to have to make sure a system's up and running and that the network connections yeah. and all that stuff are good. But it's at least in your control. Right. Exactly. So, you know, d- you know, tales from the dark side for sure. If and you maybe can, go ahead. You're in your control, but, you know, when I say your control, it might not be you personally, but your company's control. Right. Somebody within your organization should be managing. Because <laughs> I'm sure somebody is going to be like hearing that that's on the flip side of that. That's like, yeah, we do that. I hate it because I can't get that team yeah. to do anything, blah, blah. There's always problems. And it's like, okay, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the right thing to do, it stinks, but the right thing to do is to block that traffic from your build server or whatever. So it can't go out to get that stuff like block Maven Central, block Docker hub. I don't know. Block that stuff. It's the only way. That's the best way. And Hey, I think a helpful tip here, this actually could have been a tip of the week. If I'd known that, that we would have gone this way with it is 
you block that so people can't actually hit it internally. But like with Artifactory, you can set up these virtual repos, right? That basically are pass-throughs more or less. So proxies, if, yeah. A proxy for it. So if you try to install something like Maven, right? You're going to make a request to Artifactory to get that package. If Artifactory doesn't have that package, it'll proxy that call out, go get it from the main Maven repo, and you can have tools set up in your Artifactory instance or whatever else you're storing it in that can scan that thing before it even gets used, right? So you can get the best of both worlds just by doing it. And I mean, the three of us have worked on that stuff, and it's not rocket science to get that. Well, I don't want to talk about Artifactory, but to get it set up in your applications to to get it to do those things to where you're calling the proper places to get it, right? Hey, uh, a quick correction before people start uh, DMing us. Um, working, anytime when you're working with Maven, it is actually rocket science. I'll <laughs> so, uh, meant to say it is rocket science. But uh, uh, actually, to, you know, fun point about Maven is um, – so you can, you know, add a repository, you stick your credentials on it, whatever. And if your package isn't found there, it's just going to go to the next one and eventually fall over to uh, Maven Central. So unless you're blocking it at the network level or uh, you can set up a, a, a mirror, which is specific to uh, uh, Maven. But yeah, the only way to block is to like basically set up a mirror to kind of redirect it into like nowhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's, it's a pain. But what you can do, though, is that if you know that there's like a third party package or a particular version of a package that has an exploit, then you can like deny you could still let them go to Maven central, but like not get that one version. That one version could be right. denied. Yeah. Hey, uh, another thing worth mentioning here, we're talking about artifactory specifically because we have experience with it. it it's not just for things like, uh, you know, Java packages or whatever. It could be Docker images. It can be, it can be jar files. It could be DLLs. It can be on um, pip. Uh, require it, like it. It truly can be just about Debian, any type of artifact. OS you can think packages, of. yeah. OS you can packages. have generic repos that are just like you know whatever f- text file you want to like include or whatever. Totally. So, so when we're talking about bringing any external dependencies into your own purview, your own control, it can like Artifactory itself can handle basically everything. So. You know, if you are not doing that, if your organization isn't doing it, it's something worth thinking about and taking a look into. It, it's it's a smart move. <clears throat> so, I think I think that was all of the random things before we actually get into the main topic. Unless you guys got something else. Uh, no, no. I, I coincidentally you had the Mac one, so that that was I hit what I wanted to talk about. Okay, good. That I'm wasn't like the main topic. Yeah. I, hey, seriously, if if you guys are interested in me making a video on the things that I'm looking at and, and some of them, because I sat down last night, I almost made a video last night. I was like, uh, I don't know. Nobody wants to see this. So then I walked back upstairs. Right. And then I got thinking about it tonight. I was like, maybe people would want to hear about it. I mean, I'm just going to go off on a rant like it's going to be boomer hour for, you know, 15 <laughs> minutes or something. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't know. So do it's it. hilarious. I mean. <laughs> so. All right, let's get into this thing. So a couple episodes back. First, first, I think it's worth calling out that this is probably going to be a two or three parter because this ended up being a little bit more information than what I thought. But that means that our next episode probably won't be following back on this because it's going to be the new year, right? And we typically do our 
new year resolutions that we won't follow through with or whatever, but it's always fun to do. So our next episode will probably be along those lines and then we'll get back to some of this. So that out of the way. Um, so yeah, what, what Jay-Z said up front, this is another one of the Gartner documents. They're, they're things that they put out. And this one's called the top strategic technology trends of 2024 written in 2023. And you guys have a link to the, <laughs> you guys have a link to the document so you can see it. This one was way more word saladsy than the previous one was like, there are some things that I read and my brain just went, what? And I read it like 20 times. I was like, I said, I don't know. I, I just don't know. So we'll get into some of that as we go. But this big one is, they're talking about the technologies and processes that companies need to be following in order to be successful when using and incorporating AI. So it should be no surprise to anybody at this point, the AI is kind of a big deal, right? Ever since Jay-Z brought it up, the internet exploded and, cool. and it's a, it's a thing now. So <laughs> he's got a smile. It was all me. It was, all me. <laughs> it was, I'm pretty sure it was. So, what they did is they broke this into three different sections. We're going to be talking about one. Uh, the first one is protect your investment. That's going to be the one that we're going to be focusing on tonight. Uh, the next one is rise of the builders. Not even going to tell you what that means. Uh, and then deliver the value. So let's get into this first one here. So they say that when you're protecting your investment, one of the things you have to do is you have to be deliberate. And I think this is sort of obvious. Like you have to make sure that when you're making choices in AI technologies, that you really know what you're doing, right? You can't just go out there and throw the first thing that you find into your code and ship it. But that's what my GIF says. <laughs> ship it. <laughs> One of my favorite GIFs of all time. And notice he said GIF, not GIF. Um, I said it right. It, this one was interesting, and and I think this boils down to the fact that there's so many different AI uh, frameworks, or I don't even know what you call them at this point, out there. But they say, ensure that you've secured the appropriate rights for deploying your AI-driven solutions. So I don't, I don't know what ChatGPT's um, licensing or any of that kind of stuff is. I know that like the Facebook llama one, I want to say it's like free for everybody to use, right? Like you just throw it in there and you can bundle it and ship it. I thought it was free for like, not for, I didn't think it was free for commercial use though. Oh it? yeah. Llama was. Yeah. I want to say, uh, llama to, yeah. To the Google machines. Yes. Llama to ai.meta.com slash llama two is not open source. It's not open source, but I think it's free for everybody to use. Where is it? Uh, use. Is there a license on here somewhere? Right here. Llama 2 is available for for free for research and commercial use. It's right on their header of the page. Like it's it's right below or right above the download the model on their main page. There so, is, yeah, so, okay, so the article I was reading about that said it's not open source addresses that and basically says they say it's open source, but there are additional commercial terms and it's, it kind of gets weird. It's like if your affiliates are greater than 700 million active monthly, it's like paragraphs, you know? Uh, yeah. Okay. So like it's you need just a like team to figure it out. Yeah. Right. So it's just like the open source licensing stuff to where, where we go to TLDR legal, right? Like you need to know. 
because there's going to be financial and potentially worse than financial. There could be IP things associated with it. And, and if you don't know what we're talking about, like if you do a GPL type license, you and you bundle it and ship it with your code, you may have to open source your code because you did that. Right. And so this may be something along those lines. I think you've also promised away your first, second and third born. And that's, which may not be bad, right. May not be bad. If they get into the teenage years, it might work out. All right. Yeah. Depends. It varies. Yeah. Depends. Some people are going to get mad at me for saying that. (laughs) Others would be like, I hear you, bro. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) preach. Right. So yeah, I mean, be sure that you research that stuff if you are going the AI route. Now, this is where Gartner gets in and starts um, making all kinds of new words and some fun stuff. So there's AI TRISM. So it stands for Trust, Risk, and Security Management. So this is the features of this particular part of this section here are AI model governance. So what they're basically saying is, how trustworthy is the data coming out of this model, right? Um, how fair is the model? How reliable, how robust, how transparent is, is data protection built in, right? So talking about some of these things, like the company that we work for, they're still very, um, not anti-AI. They're very... A lot of uh, industries are being really careful with AI because number one, uh, like you're sending, you know, any resources that you're searching for over to that company. Yes. And two, there's the worry of like licensing of what you're getting back and whether or not you're actually able to use it. So it's kind of from both ends. So a lot of in- enterprises like Microsoft's actually uh, banned the use of ChatGPT there for a minute. Uh, I don't know if uh, if that's still going on, but uh, yeah, for a minute there, uh, even Microsoft is backing out saying, "Wait a minute." But some of some of what you said is dependent on whether or not you're using an on-prem version versus the publicly available version. For sure. Of like a yeah, chat GPT, for example. Yeah, for sure. Um, but even then, right? Like if you're feeding if you're feeding data even into an on-prem AI model, do you really want to be sending social security numbers in there? Right? Like what value are you adding by doing that? And and if people aren't thinking about that kind of stuff, you know, the, you don't know what the repercussions of some of that can be. So you, you really have to be careful, but, but the, the thing about like the reliability, the fair, the fairness, the trustworthiness, that kind of stuff with models, like I've, I've definitely read some things where people, you know, AI is not magic, right? You typically train it with data that supports what you're going after, right? Like you, you don't have this open world, of things that you're training the data with because it wouldn't make sense, right? If you're doing something accounting related, you're probably going to feed it with things that are accounting related. So it knows what decisions to make there. So, so these models have to be treated uh, carefully, I guess is the best way to say. So uh, Gartner did have, they have on all their sections, they have these predictions, and this one, they say by 2026, companies that incorporate AI trism controls will improve decision making by reducing faulty and invalid information by 80%. Now, how they came up with that number, I don't know. But, you know, it makes sense that if weeks you're putting hours, <laughs> they did say weeks to hours, right? Which seems like way more than 80%. Just saying. Um, 
but it makes sense, right? Like if you have controls in place to validate what your expectations are for things coming out of the model, you're going to get better at it, right? As opposed to just flying blind and letting people use a model and never actually knowing what the results of things being put in and coming out are. Uh, anything uh, it feels salesy, doesn't it? it, it, Stuff like that. So a lot of this one, the previous Gartner thing that we did, it felt very much tech driven. Like what are the technologies that people are using? Why they're using them? This does feel very much like this is why your organization should do this. And this is why they should invest in these tools. Um, And I don't love that, but I think it's worth at least knowing that these are some of the concerns, right? Like knowing your model and all that kind of stuff. But yes, I I agree, man. Yeah, it just feels a little bit like, hey, wait, why are you telling me that I need to be doing this? Like, who are you partnering with? Like, where's your affiliate links? Like, how's this working? You know, for sure. Actually, I went looking for some of them (laughs) because I thought I thought for sure they were up there. And and after I get through these next few bullets here, um, we should discuss the little graphic that they have on page. Is it page nine? No, No, this is page nine. This is the AI trism still. So they say, why is it, why is it trending? Um, basically because if you have these controls in place, these things to check for the, the rightness, the fairness, all that kind of stuff, you can move to production faster with more, with more confidence. That makes sense, right? It's almost like any kind of DevOpsy type thing. I was just thinking like, Oh, so it's, this is CICD and, and unit testing, but for AI, Yes, basically, I think is what it boils down to. Um, it says so they that just enhances- needed a new ac- acronym. They couldn't just reuse CICD and you know unit testing. Okay, hey, be prepared. There's so many more acronyms in this document. <laughs> um, they enhanced the bias control decisions, and I think that's. I mean, they just dropped some of these lines, and again, it sounds sort of salesy, but you know, it is what it is. Model explainability. I find this one ironic. I. <sighs> I, I get what they're saying, right? Like if you can explain what the model is, then you can sort of explain the outcomes. But but anytime I've ever heard anybody talk about ML or or AI type stuff and somebody says, well, why did it spit that out? It's like, it's, it's an equation. Right? Like, that's always the answer. So I don't know. I find the explainability sort of weird in this context. Yeah, know. but there's different types yeah. of models that are like a decision tree you're you are very familiar with a decision tree type of model, right? Okay. That's basically yeah. like an if if else kind of thing, right? And you could picture like a giant tree of if elses, right? Until you eventually determine, oh, I think that's a Bengal tiger. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. That's a good point. But but a neural network, yeah. That that's good where luck. it's like, hmm. That's just like a bunch of math, and it was like, well, there's a small percentage that can be that, and a small percentage that can be that. There's a larger percentage that might be this, you know, like all these other things that would like you know factor in until you get to it, and you're like, I don't know how I got to it. Yeah, right. no, it's got some hidden nodes. Like maybe someone else. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Right. Well, next right. question. Oh, it's right, AI. exactly. It's AI. Thank you. Moving on. All right. So, all right. Then the next part they have is how to get started with this AI trism thing. So set up a task force to manage the efforts. All right. Surprise there. Uh, work across the organization to share tools and best practices. Now, this one I actually appreciate that they said, because how many times have you seen your group working on something and it feels like you're reinventing the wheel? And you know other groups have worked on things and they've run into the same problems or whatever. So for sure, if you're going to take on some massive efforts with AI, 
make sure you're talking with other people in the organization that are also undertaking those things and see if you can't share some knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess where I'm thinking is like, well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about like, you know, introducing like an on-prem, you know, co-pilot or chat GPT or something like that, that, you know, for the organization, or are we talking about like, you're going to write your own home brew for the organization? Because then I'm like, well, that could vary. The needs of that could vary greatly depending on use case and team and even within the same enterprise, you know? That's interesting. It might be both. I mean, it might be under both circumstances, right? Yeah. I think it's all about putting controls in place to, to check the reliability. And, and if you're using a tool, what other group is using tools, right? I don't know. All right. And then the last one that they had here was define acceptable use policies and set up a system to review and approve access to AI models. That makes sense. You don't necessarily want to willy nilly give everybody access to all of it. Right. Uh, because, for one, maybe they shouldn't even have access to the data. For another, what are they doing with the data, right? Like you might want to know, hey, if we give you access to this model, what are you going to do with it, right? Like maybe we don't want you making financial decisions with whatever comes out of this model. For all the credit card numbers and social security, oh, you know, good stuff. Right, yeah. The things that have lots of numbers, I would like them all. Yeah, Dear so, Chat GPT, if you could you generate a user named Joe Zach and what would be a valid social security right. number? <laughs> if if there was a user named Joe Zach, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if I was stuck in a pretty good elevator, I needed to know his social security number, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Quick. Man. All right. So here on page nine of this document here. This is their AI Trism technology components, right? I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on some of these here? So do we want to try to explain this thing? I don't know that we can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I'm capable. Yeah, I mean, we can list out some of the things on here, like um, technology components that they have listed for this AI Trism. Again, TRISM is trust, risk, and security management, in case you already forgot it. like I mean, I we were talking about it at the Darren table. You don't right? normally totally. talk about that? That's right. Um, so they have content anomaly detection, data protection, application security. Those are, I guess, components, things that, that should be in there. Um, and then some of the key things that should be part of it are explainability and transparency, model management and model ops. Not DevOps for AI models. I don't know. And then yes. adversarial resistance. So, okay. That the, the first three, if I'm reading this correctly, the anomaly detection, content anomaly detection, data protection and application security, AI system users need to acquire that, that tech to fill gaps in the builder and owner of the solutions. Right. The exp- and the users mean the people that are actually incorporating or, or using this technology somehow. Right. Yeah. The explainability and transparency, AI, uh, model management and model ops and adversarial resistance. Those are responsibilities exclusive to the builder or owner of that AI system. So what what do you take adversarial resistance to be people that just don't want to use it? No, I think, I think that is like where you're trying to reverse engineer like a chat GPT. Like, have you seen some of the, 
types of questions where people have asked chat GPT questions, trying to like get it to give information that it's really not supposed to give about how it was created and things like that. I, that's what I think that that's about. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so the way I interpret those top three, content anomaly detection, data protection, application security, those are the things that the tools need. The AI systems need to be able to do that stuff. And the things on the bottom are the things that the the people who create the, so- the AIs or the software or the people who own the software, they need to be able to explain it and be able to understand what's going on. They need to be able to uh, manage it, be able to deploy it, make changes, and then they need to be able to adversarial resistance it. Obviously. <laughs> Good job. tell us the definition without using the (laughs) definition yeah so those those are the components that ai systems the models applications and agents are all going to like have parts of those uh those components and all of those systems are going to have some kind of organizational governance that they they sit on top of that in regards to like fairness and bias control and privacy and measurement workflow and policies. That's the way I'm reading this. Okay. So I Googled it and Google's generative AI kind of helped me out a little bit and said that basically what they're talking about is a well-defined class of adversaries that they use to train other networks uh, with improved resistance and to like kind of emerging threats. So basically what they're kind of talking about there is uh, your ability to kind of smartly train the model in response to the kinds of threats you expect it to encounter. Bad actors. How, how to reject bad actors. But that, that's like what I was describing then. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like yeah. asking chat GPT questions that you don't want chat GPT to answer. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I like my uh, way. I said better. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was going for sure. Granted. Yes. I, sure. I mean, I read it from Google. So right. right. Yeah. It, it had to be right. Chat okay. GPT. What is. <laughs> okay. So we, we knocked out the first one. All right. So this, this next section is another acronym. We're going to call it CTEM or CTEM, but I like CTEM better. It's continuous threat exposure management. So another topic this at is, the dinner table, right? Another one you should be talking about with your family. Systemic approach to continuously adjust cybersecurity priorities. Now, yeah, I guess. So <laughs> we're basically saying that, do we need? I I think this is where I sort of got started to get lost in some of this stuff. I think what they're saying is they need to have these things in place to help them adjust their priorities in their cybersecurity thing related to the AI things that they're doing. Or are they saying use AI to? I don't continually- think this is about uh, AI at all. This is just the top 10 strategic technology trends, right? And this is number two. Continuous threat exposure management is the number two trend. So this is unrelated to the the first one. Uh, So this this is part of, so both of these trends fall into the protecting your investment category. Good call. All right, see? Good thing we talked here. It's a good dinner talk. So you should know this topic very well. (laughs) <laughs> I, I've done this a little bit. Hey, basically, yeah. it's got a, we got a little graph here with a wheel, and like part of the wheel is about diagnosing problems in your in your process, and the other half is like how you can kind of take action to improve those processes, and then you just kind of keep going around in circles. So you're constantly iterating on your like security posture. Yep, finding, prioritizing, 
validating, fixing, doing it again. <laughs> That's over and over and over. So here's their prediction on this one, which is kind of interesting. By 2026, companies invested in C10 will reduce security breaches by two thirds. So I actually don't know how I feel about that one. I mean, I'm sure they come up with these, these metrics somehow, but I have a feeling that the attacks are just getting more and more prevalent. So reducing by two thirds from when, like there's going to be way more attacks in 2026 than there are today. It would be my yeah. guess. Uh, I'm less concerned about AI's exp- explainability and more concerned about uh, Gartner's at this point. What, what's going on here? How do we get to that number? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what that means. Now I, I will say on the flip side, throw out the two thirds and, and whatever they said there, I do think by putting these processes and, and technologies in place to help identify this, it will make things better, right? Like for sure, make things better. I just don't know that you can put a number on it. I mean, we, we tried yeah. to do that years ago <laughs> and we couldn't really. Yeah, it's pretty tough. And I, you know, I understand like you, you, with security, you don't get to just say like, Oh, security, I did that two years ago. We're good there. <laughs> Done. Cross it off. We never get that. We never have to go back to it if you're a large enough organization. But if, uh, so yeah, I kind of understand this. Like you have to have this evolving process, and I don't know. I think that's the point, though, that Gartner's trying to make here is that, and that's why the diagram is circular because you're. It's a never-ending process, and so if if you implement that in 24, then by the time you get to 26, your likelihood of exposure to problems is probably less because you're probably. You probably by then you've had got a couple of years under your belt. If you weren't already doing anything, right? Then uh, you know you're you're on top of you know supposed to be like on top of the game your your game as far as like mitigating your risks ahead of time or like as things happen you're like seeing things and and jumping on it to make sure it doesn't happen again kind of thing. So I I feel like in this realm having the processes in place and the tools in place to help you identify problems is, is a massive step forward for most companies, right? Being able to, to identify when something happens because things are going to happen. I, I don't know that you're going to reduce the breaches because we have new software coming out that gets incorporated oh, yeah. every day. Right. And, and so I think it's, it's, it's nearly an impossible task, which kind of stinks. I, I agree. I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, it, that's that's all I was going to say is I think it's just to to try and put a number to it, I think is unfair, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree that the two thirds number is definitely questionable. I just think that they're, the spirit of what they're trying to get at, though, is that if you if you were doing this endless loop of improving your security posture and you're monitoring your risks and, and mitigating those risks as you find them, then you know, there's probably some kind of statistic out there that is say like, okay, you're statistically less likely to be involved in anything serious because you are, you know, trying to stay on top of it. And I, I think that's the spirit of what they get, but I totally get, you know, and agree with you guys that like, mm, but that number seems weird, right? Like where did yeah. you get to it? And here's one thing that the, the three of us have talked about and noodled on over, God, probably seven, eight years is, You'd like to think that if you reduced all your vulnerabilities, like down to as many as possible, it doesn't necessarily equate to some monetary value out there, right? It just takes one, right? Like if if you closed out every vulnerability on the planet, but there was one there, 
and somebody was able to exploit it that way that you didn't know of because it's it's, it's you know, a zero day, right? There's it's not like because you knocked out ten thousand other ones, but there was only one there that it's its value was only a buck. I mean, it could be a ten million dollar you know exploit. Like you, you don't know, so it's just it's truly this ever evolving circle where you just have to do the best you can and put tools in place to help. All right. So the next thing up that they mention is it aligns exposure assessment with specific projects or critical threat vectors. Go ahead. So I just wanted to, like, I found this one site. I was looking for this in the background related to the number of ransomware attempts over the years. Actually for two, 2022, it was down. It was the first year the trend went down. So it went from, this is from 2017 to 2022. So uh, these are in millions. So 183.6 million in 17 to 206.4 in 18, down to 187 uh, million in 19. Then in 2020, up to 304. I'm going to not deal with the fraction parts. Then in 21, gigantic, like more than double, all right? Previous year was 304, jumps to 623 million ransomware attacks in 2021. Then down in 22 to 493. So still greater than 2022, but less than the previous year. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really hard. I'll include this link. For, let's see. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so next one. Uh, one of the things that they mentioned is for this the CTEM stuff, both patchable and unpatchable exposures should be addressed. Um, that's interesting. I'm sure depending on the unpatchable ones, I'm sure there are ways that you do things. You take them offline, you do whatever, right? Like I'm sure there are ways around some of that stuff. That's a big one. Um, the business can test the effectiveness of the security trolls against the attacker's view. So I'm assuming that means that they can see basically what the attacker's seeing and see if their controls are in place. I, I've heard, I mean, um, Outlaw shared long, long time ago, Darknet Diaries, and they talk a lot about like red teams that will come in and do like uh, breach or penetration type things into systems, into buildings, into all kinds of stuff. And this would be a way to be able to measure the effectiveness of what you've done. Um, and then this, this was one sentence. I just had to copy it because I couldn't like, I read it 20 times expected outcomes from tactical and technical response are shifted to evidence-based strategy or to security optimization supported by improved cross-team mobilization. Okay. So instead of like tactical and technical responses to incidents, obviously it always has like, uh, there's like a war room going on when something bad happens. And what we're saying is that instead of them saying like, here's what we recommend uh, because this is what we think is the best based on our features in this situation, uh, it's going to be evidence-based. So they'll be able to say like, you know, here's this system is more valuable. We should just, you know, protect it by shutting down this aspect or, or something. But I don't know. It's, it's really hard, but it, it, to me, it means they're making some sort of decision based on metrics where that used to be one based on kind of gut feel. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I, I, the way I'm, the way I'm interpreting that is that because you have this software in, ha in, in use, right. 
imagine if the next Heartbleed com- comes out, right? And you're like, oh, this definitely needs to be my absolute focus. But all of those servers that might be impacted by that are like behind multiple layers of, of you know, firewalls or, or you know, restrict, restricted networks or connectivity or whatever, right? And the ones that are actually exposed might have something that isn't Heartbleed, but because it's on the front line, that's the one you should really be focusing on. Right. And and the way I'm interpreting this is they're saying that because you have the evidence and you can see like, well, our frontline servers are the ones that are, that have this other bug that is a lower, uh, uh, rating that now that acronym slips my mind for how severity those are rated. Uh, that's severity. Yeah. But there's the actual, um, that they get the number CVE. The there you go. Because their CVE rating is like lower, right? You you might think like, oh, well, let's let's focus on these other ones that are behind the curtains because they have the more extreme thing. And they're and they're in this note trying to say like, no, no, no. You you now have the evidence in front of you. You can see which ones are are actually your biggest priority. Okay, what they said. It's that it's that whole idea of like the weakest link is is you know is your problem right your your chain's only as long as strong as the weakest link right and if the weakest link happens to be at the front line even though that that severity issue might not seem that important compared to another one it might actually be your bigger critical risk yeah i think it's the way they worded it just it just messed my mind up because it's definitely talking about optimizations and using evidence and then it's just i don't know man it all got lost but i think you guys explained it well all right, and so they say, how do you get started with this stuff? Um, so you need to integrate CTEM with risk awareness and management programs. Makes sense. Improve the prioritization of finding vulnerabilities through validation techniques. So I think this is an important one, right? This goes back to that whole that cycle, that circle that Joe was talking about earlier is you need to follow a process so that you can repeat it, right? If you're just constantly willy-nilly looking through logs or things that come flying in and and you're not following some sort of method, then it's going to be really hard to improve how you do these things. Embrace cybersecurity validation technologies. Now I wasn't really sure what validation technologies were, so I went and looked it up. So there's a URL here that I heard somebody say Earl on another podcast the other day, almost (laughs) vomited. I, I seriously almost threw up in my mouth. Um, so I took I took one of the quotes off the very first line, I think. Security validation is a process or a technology that validates assumptions made about the actual security posture of a given environment, structure, or infrastructure. So basically, you know, you assume that you're safe from X, introduce X and see if it if it actually works, right? And and I think that's basically all this is saying. So you need to have tools in place to be able to do these validations or or processes, right? It may not even be a tool. It might be a process for finding and, and handling those things. Uh, you might say, um, this service is not accessible outside the cluster, so as long as we use secure the cluster, we don't have to worry about it. And then someone does a curl to the service name and it gets through. Like, oh, crap. Yeah, uh, we failed that one, right? That's, yep. Yeah, so I think those are all, like, uh, almost everything that we've heard here is good stuff. and it's And it sounds like common sense, a lot of it, but if you if you don't live in this space all the time, right? Like if if your product is, 
I don't know, creating a WordPress plugin or something for somebody. You're not thinking about this. And, and maybe you should be right. Like maybe these should be things that you should have on your radar. All right. Well then with that, uh, you know, we'll have some links to the things we like. Hey, wait, to- we're not oh. done. <laughs> what you doing, man? Get up out of here. <laughs> I just had to get you. All right. So, uh, Hey, you know what? If you too would, uh, like to have me just totally bastardize the pronunciation of your name. <laughs> Hit us up. That's right. uh, you could leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. What was the current count, Joe? Like anything above two stars, one star, three star. Uh, no, we're, we'll so, take uh, anything up to three. And uh, I mean, if you got a four in your, in your heart, we'll take it five. You know, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. If you feel like, <laughs> if you feel like giving us some stars and reviews, we greatly, we do really appreciate it. Like, okay. Yeah, uh, we'll take, we'll take five star reviews. You know, like every, every, I don't know that that's all you got. We really do appreciate reading the things that we people really. have said over the years though. Um, I mean, we've really gotten some heartfelt things and it really is like inspiration to keep going. So we do appreciate it. Uh, it's not wasted effort on your part and you know, Hey, it's Christmas. Uh, give right. a star. That's right. Or, or two <clears throat> stars. Five. So. Five. Let's see. Yeah. Oh. By, by the way, um, so uh, anything less than five actually does have a noticeable effect on the uh, <laughs> average. So if you could actually just give it a five, it'd be great. <laughs> oh, now you Say care. what you want to be <laughs> as mean as you want in the comment button. You know what? And I forgot. I don't even remember where where I read it now. But um, so this is episode two twenty four. So according to Tutko's trademark rules of engagement, uh, Jay Z, you are up first. And Tatutko of, of Tatutko's trademark rules of engagement wrote in, and I don't remember where I wrote it in, where, where I read it in now, but uh, apparently he was in the car with his kid listening to it. And I forget, I think it was his son was excited. And then his wife was like, not impressed. So <laughs> Mrs. Tatutko, this is to you. If you are listening, we, we do appreciate that you let uh, your husband listen. So yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, all right. And also, by the way, I mean, he's a little bit famous, you know, I don't know if you know who, who you're married to. He's got his own, uh, trademark rules of engagement here. So, you know, been going strong for a hundred episodes or more, maybe kind of a big deal. So, you know, all right. So Jay-Z, you are up first and your topics are, or your categories are Ike and Patton, easy money. Hop on the homophone, formidable fantasy, transportation, or <laughs> Will with one L or two, Willem or William. Okay, it's either a homophone or what do you think formidable fantasy is? Mm-hmm. Jeez. Um, let's, let's go, uh, homophone, homophone for four. Okay. Going strong. Yeah. 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 Somewhat average or about adequate and the price an airline charges for a ticket. Fair. Doggone it. That is correct. What is fair? Woo. I thought you didn't have it, man. I was like, I didn't, Woo. but you know, I play Wordle, you know? All right. See, it, pay, it pays off. 
All those video games you've been playing all your life. We're going to make it work. <laughs> yep. All right. So, Alan, <clears throat> your topics are thought you'd like to know. It's also a Greek letter from a D to an F. The responses will start with D and end in F. Not your grades, by the way. Uh, <laughs> how, many, how many words are there? Composers are quirky. Going underground. Or lastly, all about Disney. Oh, man. Let's do Disney for four. Oh, man. You're playing right into Jay-Z's game now. You're- I know. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. If I don't get this, it's over. I don't, I don't know much about Disney. In 2006, Disney acquired this computer animation leader that it had first collaborated with on Toy Story. I will hurt you if you don't get this one right. What is Pixar? That is correct. We are in a tie game, gentlemen. Yes, sir. All right. And also, you two. I was talking to the people in the room. (laughs) This gentleman somewhere around here. All right. So, third round. Joe, the categories are... Getting close to something, notable names, there will be blood, lakes and rivers, singing in the rain, and then the last category is where they have a celebrity come in. So, taking a gamble with James, name I can't say. Halls Hauer. Oh, I'm... Jeez. I don't even remember any of these because I kept thinking, not that one, not that one, not that one. Well, you know, the notable names made me think of the the famous, you know, Saturday Night Live skit. And one of the categories was always potent potables. (laughs) But the topics, again, were getting close to something. Notable names. There will be blood, lakes and rivers, singing in the rain, or taking a gamble with James Halsehauer's. Is it Huffstetler? No, it's... Oh, I said it right. I don't know why you're even... Holzhauer. <laughs> H-O-L-Z-H-A-U-E-R. Yeah, Holzhauer. That's pretty good. That's what I said. See? Look at you. Look at you. Moving on up. You know, I was going to say notable names, but not knowing who the heck that is makes me think that uh, maybe I should just go with getting close to something for two. Okay, okay, so wait, 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 before you do it, though, James Holzhauer, only because I've seen his picture, this was the dude who was on Jeopardy who would go true daily double every time. So he was the one that was a professional gambler that just destroyed the records for the most amount of money won on the show because he was just constantly cutthroat going through the game. Huh. Yeah, he, he was fun to watch on that show. Okay, Third so- highest earning American game show contestant of all time. Wow. Wow. All right. Uh, you said getting close to something for two. Yeah. Almost there. You're in this, as they say, like Chicago's Wrigley or Boston's Fenway. What? What's, what's the category? Getting close to something. All right. And then read the thing again. Almost there. You're in this, as they say, like Chicago's Wrigley or Boston's Fenway. They're in this. Uh, They're both baseball. 
fields or something? <laughs> Stadiums? Parks? Fenway Park? Fenway Diagram? <laughs> what you got? What you got? Uh, I mean, geez. Uh, Fenway. Uh, uh, gosh. Wow. What are, what are, what is the stadium? <laughs> Allen for the steal. What is the game? Oh, gosh. No. You guys. I mean, Joe was closer because he was at least in the ballpark. Oh, come on. Oh, gosh. That's so. Oh, I wish you didn't tell me the answer to that. I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we go into the final Jeopardy tie game four to four. Now we're doing the you got to like bet some points, right? So some points are on the line, right? Okay. What, what, I know what, Alan's gonna bet. What are you? What are you betting? <laughs> oh, you're putting it all online, Jay Z. What are you putting on the line? Uh, all online. Oh, okay. So both of you are gonna let me. Somebody's cheating here. Somebody hasn't gotten that one yet. Cheater. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but I want it. The category is artist. Great. Here you go. Here's your answer. Despite how he's known, he was probably actually born in, in, oh man, why was the proper nouns? <laughs> he was born in, somebody's going to be offended, Ancino in, near Florence. Okay. I, I'm just uh, gonna, like, I'm going to write the, the name of the, he was born in part. And then you guys would be like, Michael, that's not even close to how you would pronounce that place. In, you know, there you go. Oh, okay. I got it. Does that help you? No. Yeah, I got it. And got and, it? In, and just in case I didn't pronounce the other place correctly, either that's near it. Um, how, how would you guys pronounce those two places? Florence. Oh, come on. Florence. <laughs> I don't know the other one. Hey, what was the question? I don't even remember. Despite how he's known, he was probably actually born in Ancino near Florence. Yeah, look up this. What's the pronunciation key for this? Who was Spartacus? <laughs> I... Yeah, it's somebody associated with the city and Italy. Right? Uh, is there somebody who, like, when you think of Italy, I think of Leonardo. But also, I'm very firmly rooted to Ninja Turtles. So. <laughs> you know, but, but there was also somebody else. Um, what was the guy's name? Was Rembrandt? I'm going with Rembrandt. So the only one I know that's not a turtle. So it says that the ch is pronounced like a k in English. So maybe it's Ankino, Ankiano. Yeah, maybe Ankiano. Oh. Yeah. So, so artists. all I think of is you know the ch is it. Uh, the H is silent in Hanukkah, isn't that? Or the C is silent in Hanukkah? No. The CH is silent in Hanukkah. What's the Adam Sandler song? Now I can't even get it right. Uh, and I've had time to Google the answer, so. Picasso. Ready. Okay. So uh, you both lose your points. <laughs> Barely. So, Barely. Uh, let me Barely. Go I said it. this. I had a right. Record book. Was it Rembrandt? Again, he was in the ballpark. No. It was Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, look at that. Can you believe that? Believe that. <laughs> you should have stuck with a teenage mutant Ninja True Renaissance man. Dang it. So there you All go. Right. I mean, you know, 
I lost again. Well, no, I, I guess technically no, we, we I didn't. Lost. Yeah, we you, tied. You both lost. <laughs> we both won. We both won. We both won. There we go. Glass half full. I like it. All right. So rounding out the last one of this section here, sustainable technology framework. All right. So this is all about just being a better company for the world, more or less. So solutions for enabling social, environmental, and governance outcomes for long-term ecological balance and human rights. So this this one's kind of interesting. Their prediction is by 2027, all CIOs, for those that don't know what that is, that's chief information officer, will have compensation that's linked to their sustainable technology impact. Now, that'll be interesting. Wait, it's 25% of CIOs. Did they say 25? What did I say? You said all. I probably did say all. Well, did they say 25? By 2027, 25% of CIOs will have compensation linked to their sustainable technology impact. Well, it's a good thing you, you were double-checking that there. And I carry the one. Right, 25%. So some some CIOs, 25, <laughs> 25%. Because that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, totally. I find that interesting. Like, I, I can totally see that with, uh, uh, what is it, I think. There are companies out there pushing a lot of initiatives like this, right? And they'll they'll provide funding for various companies depending on those type of, of things that they're doing. So I could totally see that being legit. Um, they say, hey, why is it trending? Uh, environmental technologies can help deal with risk in the natural world. Okay, that makes sense. I, I mean, we've talked about this briefly on the show, but you look at things like S3 or Google Cloud storage and all that. Those hard drives are going somewhere and hard drives put off a lot of heat. Yeah. So um, I guarantee you there's an impact in whatever region of the world these data centers are going in. And even uh, even did you guys ever see when they started trying to go like hardcore on solar power? People thought, oh, man, I've got the most brilliant idea in the world. I'll just put a bunch of solar panels up in the desert. It actually created little climate pockets that were really bad for those various regions. So we think we have these great ideas and it's like, Oh yeah, maybe that didn't work out too well. No such thing as free lunch. Nope. So that that's, I, I could totally see this being a big one. Um, you know, depending on what type of uh, industry your, your particular enterprise is in. Um, social technologies help with human rights. I, I can totally see that being a thing. Governance technology, strengthen business conduct. Uh, you know, I would venture to say that this has played out big time over decades, right? Between minorities and male versus female and all kinds of things, right? These things exist to help push things forward in a positive way. Uh, sustainable technologies provide insights for improving overall performance. So that one's interesting. Um, I guess they're talking about the overall performance of how they're doing ecologically, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it that one wasn't clear to me. I I could totally see that doing something more ecologically friendly could hurt you financially. So I, I don't know. I don't really know what the performance is here. Uh, not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that I could totally see how it could have a negative impact on on one side of the business. And then how to get started. Uh, some of these kind of just make sense. Uh, select techno- technologies that help drive sustainability, um, different types of energy, whatever, right? Like you could think of several things out there. 
um, have an ethics board that's involved when developing the roadmap. That kind of makes sense. If they're not involved in some of the decision-making, how are they going to be involved? How are you going to make these decisions? And then now this one, this is very salesy looking to me. Um, This one jumped out. I just had to basically copy it down. Use the Gartner hype cycle for sustainability 2023 guide that will help you identify established versus leading edge technologies. So apparently they have a guide out there that will help you pick some of the things that can lead you in the right direction. I don't know where this guide exists, but I'm sure if we Googled it, we can find it. Well, I thought that hype cycle was the drawing above, above, right? The circle. Is that not what they're talking about? I don't think so. Did they name that thing? I guess not. I don't think they call it the sustainable technology framework. So I guess, yeah. Yeah, no, that's not the hype cycle. I wonder if there's another place in here. Maybe they have a link to it. The hype. No, it's only mentioned one time in the document. So let's see. Gartner. Gartner hype cycle. Hey, it shows up in Google. Uh, They have the five phases in the hype cycle. (laughs) What? Dude, if you got to Google around to find things. That's the way the Gartner stuff is, though, right? Ooh. Now, why did they just link it? Whoa, wait a second. I'm in Bing because I'm in Edge. <laughs> oh, no. So check this, man. They've got Copilot built in. When did this happen? Nice. I use it for uh, Google has generative AI up top that you can click. That I use a lot. Well, I'm- I'll include a link to the Gartner hype cycle from environmental systems. Sustainability for twenty. Okay, fine, but I'm still looking for anything that looks like a cycle on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, so, so what the co-pilot said on Bing was the 2023 Gartner hype cycle is a report that identifies 25 emerging technologies that are expected to have a significant impact on business and society over the next two to ten years. All right, there we go. You know, <laughs> unrelated. Oh, here we go. But we go. also kind of interesting. So there was a thing, I think it was on like CNET or something like that. And they were talking about like the problems that retailers like Amazon, for example, like the big ones with the return problems that they have to deal with and like what happens to all that product and the amount, the crazy amount of land landfills that, you know, get filled with just returns from Amazon because like the cost of, of some of the, those returns. That's why, like, if you ever have a return from Amazon, sometimes it's just like, no, just keep it. Just keep it. Right. Because, because the cost of them trying to get it back to the, uh, the seller is sometimes like what to do with it. Yeah. So, so, and then, and then there was also sellers that would complain about how, like sometimes their returns would get stuck in a pallet somewhere in a warehouse that they can't get to yet. And it's not, efficient yet for Amazon to get it to. So it could be months before you'd even get it. And so like, you know, any holiday season could be out. And one real retailer was talking about how like, yeah, so this, this one particular product ended up having this kind of a return rate. So wasn't a bad product, but we decided to discontinue it because the return rate was too high. Oh, wow. Interesting. I mean, I know along that line, that's kind of interesting. I saw businesses pop up all over the place where, people would basically just rent out like warehouse space 
And they would buy these return pallets yes. from places like Amazon. Like just, Hey, I'll give you $200 for the pallet. They ship it over. And then basically these companies would just set up things, put price tags on some stuff. And then other things, they'd just be like, Hey, $5 for anything in this bin, right? $10 for anything in that bin. So those, those businesses popped up all over the place, which I thought was interesting because I hate things like that because I hate going into a place and digging through a box. Like I just I have no desire to do it <laughs> at all. In, in the, in this CNET, uh, discussion, cause this was all coming from like this sustainability kind of discussion, right? Like that's why I brought it up. But coincidentally, there was a, um, lady in the thing that did exactly what you were talking about. And, and I say coincidentally because her last name was Alan. Oh, yeah. And, good, and good person. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Questionable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she she thought that she was buying like a box of like returned things, like a mystery box of returned things, and instead she was delivered a pallet. Yeah, of return of things that were returned. a shrink wrapped pallet. Yeah, yeah, like seriously, they're huge. It, it's it's pretty interesting. I don't I don't know, man. I, I've often wondered what happens with all the return stuff, and I mean, there's evidence that that's exactly what it is. They just get piled up on pallets all over the place, and you can go on eBay. You can actually search for like um, uh, lots or or pallets or whatever, and you can you can pay for the things like you know you'll see this thing that's wrapped up and it's like has a bunch of electronics on it, and you just bid, you get it, and <laughs> you might get something valuable, you might get a ton of junk. Who knows? But yeah, I'll try to I'll try to find that and uh include that. Cool. All right, so I I'll I need to try and find a link to this article. I think I had to download it by plugging in my email or somebody's email. So I'll have to see if I can find a link to this thing that we used here so that we can share it in our resources we liked for here. But now it is that time of the show. The favorite time of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. So, uh, are you all familiar with Lo-Fi Girl? No. Kind of a cultural phenomenon? Okay, well, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Lo-Fi Girl that plays lo-fi, you know, low-fidelity music, which is probably, you know, offensive to your uh, sensibilities, Alan, but uh, it basically just means kind of old, retro, vibey, chill, chill step, hip-hop, kind of low-key, often instrumental type beats. And you just put it on, and uh, it's just, just chill YouTube channel that has like a little animation of a girl studying and she's got a cat. It's been around for years. They've kind of been evolving the, like the animation. Sometimes she like goes places or moves or has the window open or whatever. And so there's kind of like a little community that's grown up around, like kind of watching, you know, this thing. And they just put on the background and just, it's just cool. 13.7 million subscribers. Yeah. She's been around for a minute. Yeah. So people just use it to study. They'll just put on this YouTube video. It plays, it just kind of streams like, music uh you know all the time and uh, there's a little chat room and it just it's just nice well recently they added a synthwave boy and i am a synthwave fan and it's just kind of fun uh so i've watched a couple of those streams or you know just kind of put it on in the background it's kind of fun to have this thing that's like it's mostly doing nothing it's just you're like looking at a screen of like a little cartoon person studying or using a computer or something but sometimes they'll like you know brother nose or something or like look out the window and there's just something kind of cool about it, it feels uh, a little bit more alive than listening to like a spotify or something so uh figured i'd throw the, the uh, link out there in case you're not familiar and you give it a shot whatever it's fun 
Dude, this does not hurt my sensibilities. I have it on right now. I, this is like perfect software development music. Yeah, I mean, if you like hip hop, hip hop type beats, you know, it's it's kind of funny they call it low fidelity, but like, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. I, so, so for what it's worth, like, I if like we we all have our certain taste of music we like. I like almost everything except for death metal. I cannot, I can't tolerate, hate death metal. I, I just do not like people screaming at the top of their lungs, smashing on guitars. But outside of that, like I listen to just about anything that that was actually pretty good. I actually really do like chill step a lot because it's it's just no mind, right? Like it's just good background music for, for yeah. doing tasks. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. I, I didn't realize when I clicked on it that it was streaming. That's pretty awesome. Like it's live. Yeah, I've never not seen it streaming. I don't know if it's 24 seven or what, but every time I've ever gone there, it's been going. That's so cool. All right, cool. I, I may be adding that to my my background music. Great work reason, music. This actually works out well for me. So Monoprice had a sale, which I love Monoprice. If if you've never been to Monoprice, you should totally go there and waste your money. Um, <laughs> they had Wait, is it a waste? Have, uh, it's not. Mm-hmm. So so check this. They have these MM dash five speakers that are typically four hundred bucks. They're they're like bookshelf speakers. They're not they're not pretty. They're just like little black speakers. They almost look like monitors that you buy, right? Like the Cali Audios or whatever. They're, they're not they're not special looking. But they have all kinds of inputs on them. They're Bluetooth, they have USB, um, you know, digital inputs, coaxial, uh just regular RCA inputs. They're typically four hundred bucks a pair. They went on sale. I got an email said, hey, you can take another thirty percent off the half off already there. So I got the things for like 140 bucks. Dude, they're absolutely fantastic. So I've been sitting there during the day just putting on every type of music I can to sort of just get a feel for them. And they they really for $140, they're they're ridiculous. They're just super good. I don't know that I would have been as in love at 400, 200 certainly. I think they were still a good deal, but um at any rate, yeah, so this uh, I'll put that on tomorrow and listen. Uh, all right. So this, this next tip I'm going to give, and, and I don't usually plug other podcasts, although, um, they, they have to be really good, right? Like dark neck diaries. I always thought was fantastic. Like I still love that to this day. And, and Jamie Taylor's, uh, he just rebranded his is no longer the dot net core podcast. This is the dot net. Um, oh, what did he call it? Uh, dot net core podcast he just renamed it so i wanted to give him a shout out on this too the modern dot net show so um he rebranded he's also going to be doing some things live so go check him out i think i'm a little bit late for for one of the announcements he was doing but at any rate go check him out jamie's an awesome guy he he just does great work any rate on to the actual tip that i was going to give here um we're about to start a series of podcasts on data streaming and that doesn't mean like videos and stuff. That's actually data coming in real time, processing data real time, doing with Apache Flink, Apache Kafka. We'll probably be talking about Pino at some point, whatever. At any rate, uh, our, our friend Bobby mentioned the real time analytics podcast to me from Tim Berglund. I think that's the name, Berg, Berglund. Um, you speak he, yeah, he worked with Confluent for a while on Kafka. He moved over to Star Tree and now he's working with a team that's working primarily on Pino, Apache Pino and doing things. And 
this podcast is absolutely fantastic. If you are into streaming analytics, streaming data platforms, that kind of thing, I have one caveat though, man, it drives me absolutely insane. And it's something that we've been sticklers about on this show and we've stuck to for 224 episodes for a good reason. His content is absolutely fantastic. Some of the people that he has on his guests, he has on, on another end and their audio is terrible. And it's one of those things to where you can't listen in a car because you can't understand. It's just, it gets lost too much and you almost have to be listening in a quiet, quiet environment with headphones on giving it your full attention to be able to understand what's going on. And man, it's unfortunate because they're like one of the episodes was on Pinot internals. I think it was episode six or seven. I can't remember, but it was on Apache Pinot internals and how they did the multi-stage querying processing And it was so frustrating because I was so into the content, but it was so hard to understand because the audio quality on the other end just wasn't there that it, I I don't know. I wish people would solve that problem before they, before they do those podcasts. You know what I mean? Like, dude, these people even work at the same company. So it's like, man, go sit down in a room with them right? (laughs) Figure this out. Don't do it over a call. If you can't guarantee that it's going to be easy to listen to outside of that caveat, love the content. Absolutely love the content. So, you know, if, if that's your thing, go check it out. I have a link to, I didn't even know I've never heard of buzzsprout, but you go to this link and they've got links to Spotify, iTunes, you know, all kinds of things. So, um, definitely check that out. And especially, if you're into this thing, when we start getting into the streaming, uh, like the Apache Flink and and that kind of stuff, man, it, there, there's so much there, and understanding some of the concepts around that will will truly help in in your you know guided listening with us too. So that's it. All right, so. that's high praise for Malon. I couldn't resist. All right. So, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry. Can't even give a tip of the week without getting into boomer hour. I get so frustrated. Yeah. I can't help it. Boy, can you imagine Alan in like 10, 20, 30 more years? Like, Dude, by then, look, here's the the reality. By then, all my kids will be out of my house. I'll probably be the most peaceful, calm dude ever, right? Like, it will no longer be. As long as people have good audio, then yeah, fine. Dude, come on, on. Hold up, hold up. Let's be real for one second. (laughs) See see Uh how you pushed me down this way. Tim. Come on, man. I'm so sorry. Look, Look, man. If you if you're gonna start a podcast, what do people do to that thing? They listen to it, right? They listen to it. Make it good. <laughs> Maybe the content's not good. That's subjective, but you can absolutely objectively identify good quality. Audio. I'm sorry. All right, I'm done. <clears throat> all right, so sorry for my tip of the week. Now. It's all Ace Ace Tag's fault for making us care so much yes right and also thank you it's great yes and thank you all right so in all serious my tip of the week 
So you ever had runtime issues with uh, one of your Docker containers and you're like, man, I just don't get it. What's going on here? Right. Like, Mine all run fine. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was talking to Jay-Z. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Um, Mine never run fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Like, and you're like, what? Well, I don't understand. Like it, it's built fine. Uh, you know, why, why is this thing not running fine? Right. So, you know, just a little, uh, word of the wise, like in that kind of situation, like we were having this weird situation in an environment and we're like trying to poke around at the environment. See like, Hey, why are we getting this weird result? Like this isn't making sense. And I forget exactly what the weird result was, but you know, like, um, that that part is irrelevant. The point is, is that like this was a Docker image that was built, it was deployed, and we weren't getting the results that we wanted while it was running, and we couldn't figure out like what was going on. And so then, like, I don't know, it just occurred to me, I was like, hey, let me just do a Docker run statement on this thing. And I've talked in the past, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, no, I'm pretty sure, about like overriding the entry point using dash dash entry point. Mm-hmm. So like maybe your Docker container is set to like automatically run some fancy script that you ran or some, you know, execute some jar or whatever. But, you know, you, if you want to debug it, you could like override that by doing dash dash entry point equal shell or each equal SH. Right. And now you can go poke around inside of that thing. Right. And this was our lesson learned was that, the Docker image built fine. But what happened was we had a curl step in one of the, one of the run statements that would go and download something that we expected to be able to run later as a binary. Right. And what we found out was that when we did the Docker run uh, and poked around inside of this image, that that binary that we thought we had was actually an error message. And we had downloaded the, (laughs) downloaded the message as a file, made it executable. (laughs) Of course that's not going to work. Right. And, and, uh, you know, so the point there was the, the takeaway ended up being for us that, um, you know, it was a simple fix because we added to our curl command, a a dash dash fail command because you would assume that curl would return back a non-success code if whatever curl command you know url you gave it would return back any kind of a bad you know non 200 status code right and that is not the case you could get back a 400 or 500 curl will just happily be like nope i did that successfully and, you know, that their end didn't work, but my part did, right? And that's what was happening in our Docker step. Adding the dash dash fail forced the, would break, would force the breakage of our Docker image so that we would then know, oh, there's this problem. We didn't actually build the Docker image that we wanted to build. So I've got a link to the, uh, the man page for curl specifically to the dash dash fail option if you didn't already know it, but yeah, you know, lesson learned is like, you can think that you're building your Docker image fine. And then you go poking around and like, yeah, you know, cause I think we've talked about this before. Like, you know, we heavily 
uh, use GKE. And so you're like, you're poking around in like a logs explorer and, and, your Google project and you're like, yeah, but why am I seeing these weird log messages? Like that doesn't make sense. What's the error with that script? And of course, like, you know, because you're just, you know, it's an, an error that you're saving out to a file. Like you're going to have like the, the shell interpreter is going to be like, Oh, uh, you know, error at line blah in the shell script. And of course there's going to be, cause you know, so yeah, and- isn't it hot garbage that it's not fail by default? Like seriously, yeah. In, in the car world, like that that's is so weird. Yeah. I would really love Can't to know. I would really love. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I but I would really love to know. Like, what was the rationale behind saying that? Like, okay, these four hundred level status codes, these five hundred level status codes, meh. They're fine. Yeah, it's it's just randomly swallow or not randomly. It's forcefully swallowing errors by default, which is absolutely insane. But I, I will also point out one other thing that that he's that he said that he's done here that I actually like is they added dash dash fail. There's a shortcut for that, which is dash F, but we've talked about this in the past. If you're writing shell scripts that other people are going to have to manage or look at at some point using the full name or verb of what's happening is actually super helpful, right? Because if somebody else looked at curl-f, what does that mean? Is that force? Is that – what is that, yeah. right? And putting dash-fail dash in there is actually helpful for people that come behind you. So, you know. The unfortunate thing, though, about that is that the anchor in the on the man page for that is dash-f, <laughs> not dash-fail. Dash well, you so, know what's funny? Behind the scenes, I was actually looking at it going, man, what a garbage page. It's well formatted, but you don't even know there's an anchor there. You have to inspect the thing to even know that there's an anchor behind the scenes. That's exactly what I did, Alan. I know. Yeah, that is exactly what I did. I'm like, don't tell me there's not an anchor there. I know there is. Let me look at your code. Yep. Yeah. And it was uh, it was episode, I want to say, 221, where, uh, yeah, 221. So just, you know, a couple episodes back where I talked about overriding the dash dash, the user and the entry point. So dash dash user equal root or whatever you want. And then dash dash entry point equal SH. And then that way you can get around, uh, you know, enough to like poke around because it's, you know, you're running this image locally. So who cares? Like, fine, run as root. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you want to be able, you want to be able to poke around into the different places to see what's going on. So, Yeah. Good stuff. Man. When do you think curl was first released? Oh, first nine, 1978. No. Um, nine, All the good stuff came out in the 70s. There's 19, a chance to redeem yourself, Alan. 1992. Uh, close. 1996. Oh, man. That's still been a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was so close. <laughs> yeah. 76. That's awesome. Excellent. Yeah, all so right. I'll, I'll get cut him some slack. Yeah, yeah. All right, so hey, um, we we because we skip all the good stuff up top now. All right, later. If you're not part of our Slack community, go check us out, codingblocks.net slash Slack. We do have a lot of awesome people in there that contribute all the time, probably more than we do. You know, um, I think that's where Tatuko hit me up. Now that I think, now that you mentioned, see, it. see, you can hit us up at Slack. We will we will answer. Uh, also. You know, 
if you wouldn't mind, seriously, we do love reading the reviews. Uh, you know, there's things out there that say it doesn't actually help your podcast do any better. That's not actually what it's about for us. We actually like to see that, that people are enjoying that, what we're doing. Hey, and make sure you check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more, and send your feedbacks, questions, and rants to at Slack or slash Slack and go to, we're on X and slash Twitter. It's still twitter.com or X.com or whatever you want to go. Nobody knows. Yeah. We're still at coding blocks over there. So I don't know that we ever do much over there, but you know, maybe yeah, if you added us, we'd see it or something. So yeah. So, well, speaking of not doing things, uh, I forgot to mention the notes uh, in the uh, in the early news. Uh, so uh, I'm a little behind on uh, everything right now for a variety of reasons, including January. So haven't forgotten. It's just probably not going to be in January anymore. We're going to have to take over one of the other months. And uh, uh, we got some great ideas in the game dev. Want to be Slack for uh, like different names for it and different months and stuff. So uh, you should hop in there if you're interested and stay tuned because – uh, it's not coming up right now, but it will later. So it'll have to be a game fabrication in fab, 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 February. Something like that. Uh, let's go to a warmer month. Oh. Uh, March, February. Warm. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's been hot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't I, I, prefer, I prefer the colder times because I don't want to, like, interfere with, you know, mountain biking time. Bicycling. Yeah. yeah. Today it was cold, actually. We had a low of 64 Fahrenheit. That's that's way too cold. That's way too cold. (laughs) Yeah, well, it rained. It rained. Uh, 